You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is right on 7.30, and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say very good morning to A.B. Bishop. Morning, A.B. Oh, good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. And wasn't that um, amazing liquid fertiliser event <laughs> last night quite incredible? <laughs> oh, it was the thunder directly overhead that got me. We had one almighty clap. I'd heard it rumbling and rolling around the hills for ages, and then all of a sudden, bang. I know. And it seemed like it was straight overhead. I, I've been sleeping in the swag outside for a few months and um, just enjoying watching the stars that night and um, so I went to bed at about 10 o'clock last night and uh, uh, it was completely clear sky so I was lying there watching the stars contemplating um, you know where I am in the universe and all that and on the horizon I could see the sky lighting up and I couldn't figure out what it was I said oh you know maybe there's fireworks in Yarra Glen or something and then um, I saw eventually I saw a few clouds coming in and then fell asleep and woke up with this incredible um, display of lightning and thunder. And then, yeah, as you say, around 3 o'clock, suddenly the the claps were right on top of me. That It was absolutely coming down in buckets, which, I mean, was pretty scary, I have to say, and I did end up inside. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I went back outside later <laughs> just because it had all cleared up and it was so lovely. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, um, it was quite exciting. And I heard on the radio on the way in that um, they said, oh, we got 10 mil. And I'm thinking, there's no way we only got 10 mil. I just can't wait to get home and, and see what's happening. Look at the, the rain gauge. gauge. Yeah. yeah, just see what's happening. So, But um, boy, oh boy, will that be good for the garden? Oh, we've been so desperate for it. We really have. So yes. Any rain that we can get at the moment, I'm welcoming with open arms. Yeah, and I have to say I was a bit surprised because I thought, oh, you know, I'll leave a little bit earlier. There's going to be trees down on the way. But there was only a um, a cherry ballard, the Exocarpus mm-hmm. compressiformis down, and I have actually never seen one down. And all the storms that we've had, they're usually really sturdy plant, but um, that was the only one that was down on the way, and um, I didn't have to get out of the car and drag it off the road. I could just drive around it, so I left it for somebody else. <laughs> but... Um, uh, yeah, I was, I was surprised. There was, you know, quite a few twigs and whatnot, but um, yeah, no, nothing, nothing major. Oh well, we'll happy wait about that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. We also have to say a very good morning and welcome back to Loretta Childs. Good morning, Loretta. Good morning, Pam and AB and everyone else out there. Yeah, we are pretty much in the same area as AB. So up in Christmas Hills, on a beautiful hill called Big Hill, is the original name to that, and we got the most storm you could ever imagine we saw it coming and you would then have seen it, it coming for hours oh, wouldn't you? incredible yeah and uh, I really thought the roof was going to come off it didn't because oh. my partner does tend to build things sturdily quite, quite yeah. well yeah, yeah quite reasonably well. well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't come off so it was great yeah have you had a chance to uh, to look around the garden before you came down this morning well, Pam, where do you think I was? <laughs> Six o'clock this morning in the garden snipping right. little things to bring in. So uh, I was, and it was mainly leaf litter, I must yes, say. All's Not well. too bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like such a massive, massive storm and really not much down. And yet at other times, I, th- I suppose maybe there wasn't a lot of wind. No, we didn't was, have the wind. Yeah, it was a lot of um, kind of noise and, and sa- you know, the, the lightning, the, just the flashing and everything. There was a lot 
lot of that, wasn't there? The whole night. In fact, yeah. I was surprised. Even yeah. after it passed, it, those flashes just continued on and on and on. So, yeah, it was it was. Well, I'm, I've got to sort of tell you the wind uh, on the hill there. That was we really oh, really oh, the wind was you, going yeah. to take the roof off. So, oh, wow. I mean, you're a bit more down on we the are, river there yeah, and the gully. You call and it I'm almost. even lower than AB. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, you, no, but you'd get everything, wouldn't you? You get do. all wins. We get yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's you part get. of the challenge. Yeah, that's right. Well, it that's, is. Yeah. But particularly on those mornings, and we've had quite a few recently, where Yarra Glen below us, we call it Yarra Glum, because <laughs> oh, we yeah, are in pristine fog. sunlight, blue sky, and you look down the valley, and it's just a you know. A, Complete cover of cloud and yes. yep. fog and whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, you get all the the joys and the the trials <laughs> and triumphs of living on the top of a and hill. And no frost. Yeah. Because we've always got that lovely air movement, which yeah. we I haven't had a frost in 15 years. Lucky you. Whereas so, I get really heavy frost, yes. which is the bane of my yeah. life. But yeah, mm. yeah. So do we. Like in the evening, I mean, as that cool air is falling, mm. you can just feel it running down the driveway. It's it's quite incredible. So yeah. We, we certainly get our fair share of frost. Yes, yeah. Mm. But, of course, it's that unseasonal warmth we've got still. That's right. It, it's just so it's warm. It's incredible. And I don't know, I mean, I don't, I'm wondering about the, the turn, that autumnal turn, that I'm finding I don't see the colour there in, in those beautiful exotics that, um, you know, you tend to get when you have that really crisp, cold change mm. in autumn that you can get. And, and you know, they, they want that cold yes, to really yeah. make the colour sting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Although I did notice that some of them were turning a bit early and I thought, I wonder if that's because of the low rainfall. So I wonder if they yeah. started turning early but they just didn't colour up as much or something. So yeah. it's always interesting to see, isn't it, with, mm. the, um, yeah, with the weather, what, what the plants are actually doing. I've also doing. found a real mix of things that have coloured and other things that are still totally green and no signs of colouring. Yes. So depending on, on the type of plant as well. So, yeah. um, for instance, my... Um, my golden and claret ashes have all turned and now yep. I'm losing most of the leaves. The ornamental grapevine turned very early and it's nearly bare. But yep. things like my, my maples haven't turned at all. They're yes. totally green and normally they're yeah. such a feature and yes. I look forward to the colours yeah. from yep. them and yep. there's nothing there at all. How bizarre. So well, very bizarre. later. Well, my um, grape vines never get a chance to turn anything because the possums always get to <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so I'm still trying to get them across the damn pergola. It's just, it's just uh, happening so slowly. Yeah, yeah. I have that Japanese glory oh, yeah. vine, and, uh, which is the colour of colours. Oh, and yeah. this year, it's, it's just wishy-washy. Right. And it's, it's huge leaves, and it's, I, I just hang out to see that turn. Mm. It, it's got a bit of colour, but nothing... As it's had in the past. No, right. No, I wonder if it's just taking color. its time. Mm. Oh, the leaves sort of, are dropping. Oh, though. are they? They're yeah. dropping already, yeah. are they? Actually, I was in Heelsville yesterday at the market um, getting my greens. Gee, they've got some good stuff there, those growers. Mm. They're quite incredible. And... Um, there's just, I mean, all the um, deciduous trees there are just dropping their leaves. I thought, oh, because we don't have a single deciduous tree. So I grabbed some um, some rubbish bags, some enormous rubbish bags at the supermarket. So I'll go back today and, and rake up a whole bunch for the compost. Uh, make the most of it, I say. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yes. I've got enough compost leaf litter <laughs> to last yeah. me a lifetime. <laughs> That's a job still to come because I thought, what's the point of me putting all that labour in? Because... 
They haven't all dropped yet. I yeah, might as well yeah, just, just do it once. Just wait yeah, and let yeah. them look pretty on the ground for yeah. a while. Have you got deciduous trees at your place? Uh, let me see. Just thinking, I can't thinking. think that you have, really. You've I've got, really only got, got the vines. I've got the wisteria and yeah. the yeah, grape. Yeah, yeah. So that's it for me. Oh. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we've got the... Um, Oh, now um, the Kurajong. Brachycarton. Yeah, yeah, the Brachycarton, which is um, semi-deciduous. And, it's, of course, yep. it's one of those trees which is – I just get so excited when the, the leaves, you know, they're usually that beautiful bright green and then slowly they turn a bit kind of yellowy and then all of a sudden they drop and it's yes. almost like the next day you get that new growth yes. coming through. It's just yeah. – it's quite exceptional. So, yeah. yeah, and that only tends to be with the really mature ones, though, I think, because I've got – you know, a cops of 30, yeah. 30 or 40, yeah. I think. And they're still quite young. They're only probably about well, a metre to two metres. Um, and I have those more mature ones like you. And they yeah. always do the turning, a little bit like the repestrous. Yes. Um, they push the leaf off a little bit like um, Quercifolia. Yes. Um, they really wait to the last minute and push off that dead leaf. Yeah. So, but the little ones aren't doing it? No. Ah, no, they've not, not ever done it. They haven't dropped it and at all. I've only had them in maybe five years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Great leaf. Great yeah. leaf. Yeah. I've actually brought some with me uh, just because of that. Okay. Because it's got that. Um, I always look at it as our, our Australian native um, birch. Very oh, birch. Yes. I yeah. just think that yeah. leaf yeah. is really yes. yeah, reminiscent of that sort of and, exotic. And a lovely shaped tree as well. Beautiful yeah. trunk. Oh, yeah. yes, definitely. Mm. Okay, I must get to some community announcements. And, of course, the other thing I should say is Happy May Day to everybody. Oh, yes. Happy because May today Day. is the 1st oh, of May. Pinch and the punch for the first of the month and no returns white rabbit. So I just have to get that out there. So nobody, wow. <laughs> what's the right white rabbit got to do with it? Well, that means you can't pinch and punch me back. Oh, yeah. That's been added on since my childhood. <laughs> no, that was always there. <laughs> Not in my childhood. It was. <laughs> just Sounds like some magician's trick. <laughs> I just I just had to get that out there because it's, um, Ray and I always get each other every month. Oh. So now, of course, he's lying in bed listening to me, so he loses. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No wonder you had to get in first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Firstly, of course, because it's the first Sunday in the month as well, that means that uh, Villa Alba have got their open day today. Now, this is the historic house and the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden. It's open from 1 o'clock through to 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, the address is 44 Walmer Street in Kew. Melway's reference there is 44H6. Admission is $10, concession $8, children are free, and afternoon tea is available with a $3 donation. Now, uh, also, AB, you've just given a, a talk very I recently. Have. Yes, yes, I have. I, I went and had a chat with the uh, Keylor Plains APS on Friday night, which was uh, it was really good, actually. Gee, they're a great bunch of people. I've, I've been to a couple of their um, events there before. I know uh, Dean Inverell, who's a, a bird um, expert, he was giving a talk there, and I went there recently. And they're such a keen bunch of, um, yeah, native plant enthusiasts, and they've always got something on the go. So I went and um, gave the talk that Angus and I gave uh, for our book launch, which is why the Australian Garden is changing and, and why that's relevant to us. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Good. Well, you've got another one coming up on Tuesday. I do, I do, yes, and that's that's at the Paran Garden Club. And um, I should say, first of all, that Angus 
uh, was initially going to come to that one, but unfortunately he's not able to come anymore just um, due to family reasons. So I'll just put that out for people who may have already booked and, and be expecting Angus to be there. It'll just be little me on my lonesome. And lovely amu- AB. You'll be amu- fine. Amusing you all, so yes. <laughs> okay, well, the details are... Um, Paran Learning, it's held at Paran Learning Centre. That's at 40 Grattan Street in Paran. Now, cost for members of the Garden Club is $2. For non-members, $5. Bookings are essential. Um, you can phone Jenny on 95099978 or you can phone Anne. And Anne this morning is on our outside line. So if you'd like to ring in to Anne this morning, you could book over the phone right now. And uh, she's on 94198377, or I'll give you her number for after hours after she's left here, which is 98277753. Now, the event is going to include the talk, a book signing, and life refreshments. Now, also coming up next Saturday is the next uh, incredible edible Coburg food swap. This is held out at Pepper Tree Place which is uh, officially 512 Sydney Road in Coburg, but it's on the, on the corner there of Bell Street and Sydney Road. Now, it runs from 10 till 2, and uh, there's going to be a swap table, volunteer-run nursery, which will include Mother's Day gifts. There'll be the pop-up Pepper Tree Cafe with lots of organic ingredients, uh, selling baked treats, coffees, teas, and lunch, uh, there'll be Reiki with Joe Massey, a clothes swap, but uh, they're also, they always run a workshop on these days and the workshop this week, uh, next Saturday I should say, is all about espalier fruit trees. Uh, Diana Cotter is running the workshop, it will run from 10.30 till 12 noon and uh, as I mentioned, all about uh, espalier it's a hands-on workshop, practising on the trees at Pepper Pepe Tree Place, so you do need to bring your own secateurs. Numbers will be limited to 12 participants, so you do need to register. And to register, you need to uh, text 0421-402-512. That's 0421-402-512. There's a cost of $15.00. Uh, for uh, full cost or $10 as a, as a concession. But as I say, there's only 12 participants, so you do need to uh, get on to that. And, of course, as usual, there will be some live music there as well. Uh, now, I might leave that one until a little bit later uh, in the day, but there is a community meeting coming up on Tuesday the 10th of May And this is all about trees, parks and greenery, talking about open space in Brunswick. And this is because there have been uh, hundreds of new residents coming to the apartments that have been built in Brunswick recently. And so it's a discussion about how we can open and create more green and open space in the neighbourhood. Now, speakers will include communities for nature, local residents and Alex English, Open Space Planner for Moreland Council. Now, as I said, it's Tuesday the 10th of May, 6.30 till 8pm. It's being held at St Ambrose Community Centre, which is 287 Sydney Road in Brunswick. And uh, if you'd like more information, you can phone the Brunswick Residents Network. Their number is 0490 
Also coming up, uh, now this is one for the diaries because it's not coming up until Saturday the 28th of May and this is being run by Friends of Burnley Gardens. They're inviting you to create a bee hotel with Lee Scott. Now it's all about making a hotel for native bees. Now I seem to recall that Gardening Australia with um, Costa did one for native bees. Oh, it would have been last year. Yeah. Making little, um, what I call a bee house. They call them bee hotels. <laughs> bee hotels, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but anyway, as I say, this is coming up um, on the 28th of May. The place is Burnley College, of course, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Time is 10am through to 12.30. The cost is $50 for members of Friends of Burnley Gardens. 55 for non-members. It includes the materials for the hotel, which is made of timber, but you will need to bring materials to decorate the bee rooms. Now, they're filled with a range of garden materials cut to size, varying in diameter from 2 to 10 millimetres, such as bamboo, hollow sticks or pieces of timber with holes drilled into it. Now, you need to bring your own secateurs. Bookings, of course, are essential. Uh, you can phone 9035 6815 or you can email at gmail.com. So you don't have to BYOB? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they're going to put it up on Airbnb afterwards. Hopefully, hopefully the hotels will look so inviting that they will yeah, just turn yeah. up I'm, I'm and feel very invited. <laughs> I'm just wondering what you'd um, decorate a, um, a bee hotel with, what, what, what you'd put in there. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of different garden materials, yeah, yes. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Uh, you see a lot of them in the gardens in Europe, oh, very popular okay. yes, in Europe. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, and, and, and so um, they use lengths of, of different timbers, bamboos and things, and they drill the holes right through so what you're looking at is is a series of a collection of different shapes of timbers but you're looking at all the holes yes where the bees can come and enter straight in hide in those lengths of timber and go out the other way if they want to make it a one-way street or <laughs> that's a fantastic idea i mean most They're wonderful australian native bees are solitary aren't they so they won't be um yeah, they won't, won't be in hives or, you know, in, in clusters or anything like that. That's so, right. Yeah, They're that's solitary. They so they can, each, yep. they can each put their, their name on their own, their own hole entrance. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and that's a really interesting point. I wonder if they go back to the same entrance the whole time. I want, or, you know, it's just... If they have some way of marking it, then Yeah, yeah, or if it's just whatever's vacant. Don't know. I will have to find that out. That's intriguing. Maybe they have a fight at the entrance. (laughs) (laughs) This is mine. It was mine last week. (laughs) Kind of like hot desking. (laughs) Okay, now the final one that I want to mention at the moment is um, there's a workshop coming up. Uh, now, this is not till uh, Saturday the 4th of June, but again, it's one for the diaries because it's going to be a fantastic uh, workshop entitled Fabulous Fungi. Now, it's a one-day workshop running from 9.30am through to 4pm, and again, it's being um, hosted by the uh, Friends of Cranbourne. Uh, now, the workshop will take place down at the Australian Garden Auditorium at the Royal Botanic Gardens there at Cranbourne. And, uh, of course, it's all about fungi, without which many of the plants we love wouldn't exist. 
and nutrients and material wouldn't be efficiently recycled. Now, our speakers for the day include Dr. Tom May, who's a senior mycologist from Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, Dr. Nushka Rita, who's an orchid conservationist and botanist from Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, Jeff Lay from the Field Naturalist Club of Victoria, uh, Dr. Simone Lou Woff, I hope I've uh, pronounced that correctly, uh, who's an expert on lichens, and uh, also uh, the friend's very own John Thompson. Now, topics will include an overview of fungi, orchid-fungi relationships, fungi of Victoria, lichens and a cultural history of fungi and these talks will be followed by a question and answer session with a panel of experts before taking a walk around the Cranbourne bushland to forage for some fascinating fungi. Now cost, members of the Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens is $60, non-members $75, <coughs> students $30. Now if you'd like a booking form uh, you can go online to the Botanic Gardens website or if you'd like to make any further inquire uh, for any further information, you can contact Amy Ackers. Uh, she's one of the Friends group and her number is 0423 I reckon that'll be quite amazing because and they would be absolutely wrapped at this thunderstorm that we had last night because with the all that rain the yeah. warm weather hopefully the little fungi will be going off mm. i know around our place all the bracket fungi are starting to yep. to you know appear on the trees and every now and again i'll, I'll take a, a series of photos of them over a couple of weeks and gee it's incredible how quickly they grow isn't it mm. you know i mean mm. some of them are dinner plate size in the end which yeah it's quite insane yep now, because it's May Day, I really wanted to spend a little bit of time looking at um, some of the issues surrounding the landscape industry, which is why it's so fantastic that you're here with us this morning, Loretta. Yeah. Um, not only did I want to look at some of the considerations you have to make uh, as far as workplace safety on sites when you mm. are doing landscape, particularly with hard landscaping, of course, yep. Yep. but also because you do so much... Uh, Work designing for for children, for schools, yep. for play mm, schools. Mm. Um, that you, not only do you have to consider your fellow workers, yeah. but also, of course, safety because it's a construction zone. That's right. Particularly if you're going to be working while the children are about, but also thinking about safety with the finished design that okay. children are going to be playing with. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it over to you. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have. You've been doing so many uh, kindergartens lately, haven't you? And uh, we've done sort of, yeah, we've done secondary and we've done primary and um, kindergarten and also early childhood. So yeah. babies all the way through. Uh, and look, it's been, it's been a really great learning curve because of that OHS side of it. Yeah. But what we've found is that fortunately, the um, well, I think those in power have actually realised that we've got to get rid of all that um, astroturf. We've got to get rid of all these, you know, really uninviting things in the playground. Plastic swings. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. give the kids something more interactive. Yeah. Um, I clearly I'm a landscaper who deals in large rock, as you know, and so I've introduced rock in a really big way 
you know, two, three metre size rocks. Um, we've done scaling areas, which has been fantastic for up mounds so that they can climb up the back of large mounds into sand pits. So it's very interactive. And who doesn't love climbing over rocks? That's right. I mean, really, yeah. it doesn't matter how old you are to, to be able yeah. to scramble over rocks. But from an OH&S perspective, uh, you know, what, what have been the problems, you know, when you're going into schools? Are they well, nervous about putting in these large rocks? That I think the staff are very excited. Yeah. Um, there's the no kids doubt probably about are that. too. The kids, uh, we recently did one in Cranbourne and that was fabulous. We had, uh, there aren't any, the kids were kept inside for two and a half weeks and we came in, we stripped the entire site because there was nothing there worth saving. Yeah. Uh, we put in another three sand pits and that was for, uh, babies. Now babies, um, if you look at that, you've got, you can have the sand, you can't have mulch. Mm-hmm. Because they eat it. Yeah. Uh, so we actually have pebbles, but pebbles they can't lift up yep. because they're, they're too little. Um, so that just, just something as simple as you can't mulch in that garden. Yeah. Uh, we've introduced grass, so they're actually crawling on grass and they can, you know, eat a bit of grass. That's Real not going grass. To hurt them. Real grass. <laughs> None of this astroturf and horrible plastic grass. Yeah. Um, and so that, that sort of babies, very, very simple. And uh, everyone, and little mounds, you've got to look at with your rock placement. The rock is, you know, it's the same as um, concrete, isn't it? If you're going to fall on it, you're going to hurt yourself. Mm, mm. But fortunately, um, the insurance side of things, it seems to sort of has come about that now they're weighing up the, the, the sort of balance of, well, you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt yourself on whatever it might be, and they will insure for... All, all of what be, and I think also the um, the parents are very, very keen to have that interactive play with them. It feels uh, like it's come full circle a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, because when we were kids, I mean, really, there weren't many playgrounds anyway, but, you know, you'd have your iron um, roundabout and swings and whatnot, and then it slowly started becoming more sanitised with these, yeah, really weird, colourful mm. plastic things, and, and now, yeah. obviously, people are realising the importance of, of having those natural elements in the garden. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really good. I mean, you have to, with our slides and things, the rocks have to, you've got to have that 900 minimum spacing from any height Um, so once you get you know over sort of 600 you have to have that height thing you've also got to have um, your sand pits have to be 600 deep so that they can't dig down into you sort of put a base of a large scoria to a little scoria and then you'll put um, over the top of that's about 100 mil of that then you put shade cloth and then you put your five to 600 at least of your sand um, so I suppose, and it's, uh, the rock, the rock for me is something that really gives the children that natural feel of being out in the bush. Mm. Um, then we bring in the planting and the planting is, um, you know, large trees, uh, pyrus, we do pyrus groves so kids can run in and out and have their own sort of exploratory times. Um, we're bringing back just plain old wooden cubby houses. I mean, it sounds so silly, doesn't it? Because we all sort of grew up in wooden exactly. cubby houses. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. So, but the climbing is a really big thing. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really great introduction. We're about to start another one because 
we're sort of getting to a point where we can't keep up. Yeah, so are there particular, um, I suppose, legal requirements when it comes to um, building a playground in, in a school or, or a kindergarten? Like, so those things that you just mentioned with the, you know, the scoria at the bottom, the shade cloth, and then 600 mil mm-hmm. of sand on top, is that, is that a legal requirement or is that something? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. they get accredited um, on a fairly regular basis, all the playgrounds, the kindergartens and whatnot. So, yeah, we, this one we've just done has been accredited. There will probably be some tweaking. We will go back and do, but we've, we've got a pretty good guideline of things. Um, when you're working on site, I mean, it's just a no-go zone. Yeah. Um, the one we did over Christmas, the school finished, and we had four weeks to get that complete from start to finish. Uh, but the one in Cranbourne, that was the kids watched the whole time, and of course. There were so many faces up against the windows watching <laughs> us, uh, having a ball watching all the machinery. But they learn so much, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's seeing, it's sort of like your food, isn't it? You're seeing where it comes from. Exactly. Um, they probably so, have a, a bigger appreciation for it, yeah, I reckon, by yeah. the time it's finished and they can get out there and go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's over by the Royal Children's Hospital. Right. Another fantastic oh, example, the isn't play, it? Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, that is just. I mean, that has, you know, um, rope ladders, you know, and and rope swings and whatever that that kids can walk across that are two metres above the ground. And, um, I mean, it's very conveniently placed next to the hospital for when you you (laughs) break something. But, you know, parents are are loving watching their kids, you Mm. know, and and the kids need to have that sort of, you know, learning that sense of responsibility and learning what boundaries they can push and... Yeah, so very interesting. And what about the plants that you put in? Do you have to be careful that there's no berries or things that kids can Absolutely. eat? Absolutely. Once again, I so think... No um, dinellas or... Yeah, and also the uh, even something like your um, isolepsis nodosa, which yeah. is very, very spiky. So, yeah. you know, kids getting in will sort of put something a bit softer, like some fine lamandras and... They, they sort of tend to be able to roll. We do mass plantings over the mounds, so if they do fall, they sort of roll through <laughs> masses nice. of, you yeah. know, there's 150 grasses there, so it's a pretty soft well, it's fall. Going to, yeah, it's soft mm. and it's also break going to break the fall. Yeah, yeah. bringing in um, tyres, um, knobbly tyres. We just recently did a mound that had uh, sort of saw a bit of a serpent, so it had a grassy back going up to a metre and a half in height and three metres in diameter. And on either side of that, we did the, um, you know, those, um, the knobbly tyres for the motorbikes. Oh, yeah. okay. So yep, we put yep. them on either side. And so even that, you know, they can fall on that and bounce off it. And, uh, yeah, a lot of sensory. It's all about the sensory thing of we've taken away from the kids and now I think they're able to come back. And, and this is from, as I said, little 12-month-old babies. Mm. Yeah. All the yep, way through, yep. so it's fantastic, really. Yeah, yeah, really good. And I do the kids learn about the plants? Do you know? Is that something that you well, we also with the teachers? we put in vegetable plants, yep. you know, um, in pots, in large tubs, and things like that. And recently, we did a mound that was about seven meters by four meters wide, and it was like a big eye. And we only mounded this; it was just a grassy knoll. It's only mounded probably oh four hundred. So it's very slight, just so they could roll. You know, you think kids don't roll down hills anymore. So, yeah. Wonderful. And and um, tell a story about the bench that you put in. Which one? Oh, the one, I think, you put it into um, to be like a food preparation bench or something and, and what they ended up using oh, it. Oh, that's right. Well, we, we did a, a sort of a, a servery, say, in a cubby area and it was about four metres long and we thought, oh, you know, this is lovely. They'll have a ball here and they'll 
play shops and do whatever they're going to do. So that was fabulous. The kids got back. They got really involved. These are grade three, four. Right. And anyway, the feedback was that it was a massage bench. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they were a little server moved with the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the kids apparently there'd be three in a row, in a, in a line, and they'd all be having massages. Yeah. Mum, you know, we're in a massage. Wow, fantastic, <laughs> very good. They'll do what they'll do. Now, something else I really wanted to talk to you about, Loretta. Um, you're, you're, I won't say in a unique position anymore, but you are um, a female working mm. in the landscaping industry and, yep. in fact, even running your, your own business. Um, this hasn't been the case for many years. It's only recently that more women are, are coming into horticulture, particularly into landscaping, mm-hmm. because you have to know about, well, hard landscaping, about yep. engineering, about, mm. about drainage. I mean, yep. there's, a lot, of, there there's a lot of maths and, and, and yep. engineering involved with that whole thing. Um, do you think that, that the whole... Um, Industry is opening up for women more and more? Um, it appears there are more and more women who, and young women who are really wanting to get involved and I think it's being um, opened up in a way where from a plant perspective they start to realise they can really go further and they can get into that hard landscaping area. I mean it still is something I work with men every day. Yes. Um, I work with you know, anything from a 30-tonne machine to a mini excavator to a dingo, bobcats, all those sorts of things. Um, and it's not as scary as you think. And there are many beautiful men out there who are very happy to have you, you know, on board. And so I think I don't... Um, I get young women in whenever I can. I mean, there aren't as many as young men. No. But um, whenever I can, just to give them that opening to feel, look, you know, you can actually tell someone in a machine what to do. Mm. And once again, it still is, I haven't had any female operators, uh, which is hopefully in the we future. We talk about it, don't mm. we? Because we think that would be the perfect combination. Absolutely. On, on, on a tractus, yeah. Yeah. The, the I, intuition intuition yeah. of how to place rocks. Yes, actually. And look, on, it's, um, I find the relationship is uh, a really intimate one with my operators. Uh, the trust is enormous. Uh, well, it has to be. You're on ground every day. Yes. Um, and a lot of it is sign language. So we do, uh, many years ago I was um, doing a job in Queensland on, on an island up there and I had the lovely Butch and Butch was horrified when I walked on site. I got on the island and he was, oh, right, who are you sort of thing. And it was sort of the rock lady in the end. Right. Um, and that's all he used to call me. He never spoke of my name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after a month, We'd sort of come to terms. He'd never worked with a woman before, and he came to terms with the fact that, oh, you know, it's really not too bad. And uh, you actually he, do know your stuff. Yeah, and uh, but uh, the OHS side of it is a huge thing, I find, and that is comes with the trust, and it comes with sign language, and just being so aware of what machinery is around you. Mm. And, I mean, if you're going, to, I mean, I don't wear earmuffs per se if I'm just with the machine directing. But uh, all the other machinery, that OH&S is really big yes. in that respect. Yes. Your earmuffs, your eye, you know, eye protection. Well, and all fair those enough things. too. Yeah, yes. yeah. You, st- you wouldn't go on. I mean, I always laugh when I'll get, sort of have a young chap on, or and he'll come on in sneakers. I think, darling, that off you go. Not right. <laughs> <laughs> go and get your steel caps on. You can't come on site with 
Fair enough. And we do, we try to invite young people in, very young people from 12, 13, 14 year olds to sort of just be witness to really what you can create. Mm. Mm. And I think that thing of having women in, in horticulture, I mean, Virginia sent, uh, sent us a, um, a link to a, an article that Sandra Pullman had written about the uh, women at Burnley, women studying at Burnley. And, um, I mean, obviously they weren't initially invited to study there, but eventually they were, and they came in their corseted dresses and um, tried to dig in the garden in them and then Mm. very quickly moved to Jodhpur's and, um, you know, became an accepted part of that horticulture group. But I think also there's there's sort of an – there's been an expectation for quite a long time um, that women are maybe they're good at the planting side of things and choosing plants, but not necessarily good at the hard landscaping thing because yes. you know we think hard men machinery. Yes. Yet in actual fact, um, I mean, really, why is there any difference? And I, I think um, people's perceptions are changing, and mm. we've got some incredible female designers now. I mean, obviously, people like yourself and Fiona Brockoff and. Um, you know, a, a range of people. And, um, I mean, they've got their teams behind them, just as the, the male landscapers have got their teams behind them. And, that, and that's what it's all about, really. It's, it's having those, those teams of really good people who mm. know their stuff, the contractors and whatnot. And, yep. and it's all about people management, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I, I, another thing I'll say about the, the site and machinery, uh, I always, my guide is if I see someone in a machine and they're going really fast, that's the first thing I'll do is pull them up mm. because speed is, is a killer. I mean, it sounds like I'm, you know, going on, but, I mean, it's, it's like on the roads. Uh, machinery is so lethal and you've got young people who aren't as used to a site like, like ours, which is, is machines everywhere. You really need to be, um, yeah, a little bit slow and uh, take it easy. Absolutely. Mm. Yep. So, yep. Excellent. Okay, now uh, I should uh, one announcement which I had left earlier, uh, which I will I will mention, because um, coming up next Sunday, which of course is Mother's Day, the eighth of May, there is uh, one garden opening for um, Open Gardens Victoria, and this is a very exciting garden. It's uh, Cluani, uh, which is the garden of Anne Vale and Mike Siddle. Now, uh, it's opening only for Mother's Day, 10 a.m. through to 4.30 p.m. Entry price is $8. Children under 18 are free. It's a gracious 1890s house which overlooks a beautiful country garden featuring maples for autumn colour, ginkgos and a wide range of exotics. There's also an orchard with persimmons, pomegranate trees and a remarkable food garden with citrus and raised vegetable beds. The sculptures, dry stone walls and arbours to wander through. And, of course, Anne Vale is a very knowledgeable plantswoman, designer and author. And so she's created this garden and it's only, she's only owned the garden for the last five years. So uh, well worth a look. Now, uh, the address of it is uh, 430 Coonwarra Inverloch Road in Coonwarra. So it is um, a little distance to go. It's down in Coonwarra but would be well worth the trip. And as usual, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us one free double pass uh, for this uh, garden to go and visit it next Sunday, the 8th of May. So the first person to ring in on our outside line, which is 94198377, 
uh, can uh, receive that double pass. It will be posted out to you. The other um, thing I should mention is that Open Gardens Victoria have also um, got a cooking up compost workshop taking place. This is coming up on Saturday the 28th of May and they're holding two sessions, one which is 9.30 till 12, the other one 1.30 till 4. Uh, cost is $30 but that includes morning or afternoon tea and composting notes to take home with you. And it's all taking place down in East Geelong at 478 Ryrie Street, East Geelong. So uh, that's also one for the diaries, but you do need to book. Uh, you can go online to do that by going to opengardensvictoria.org.au and that will all come up for you. But uh, first person to ring in 94198377 can get that free double pass for next Sunday to go and see Kluani down in Coonwarra. Okay, now uh, we do have a problem with uh, our talkback lines this morning. Uh, so if you'd like to uh, ask a gardening question at the moment, you can speak to Anne on our outside line and she will, uh, she will bring a note into us, but we can't talk directly to our listeners this morning. So um, if you do want to ask a gardening question, you can phone Anne on 94198377, but uh, do give as much detail as you can because we won't be able to speak directly to you this morning. Uh, There's one here that I'm going to pass over to you, AB, and it's all about um, Norgate's plant farm, which is closing down. They're having a special plant sale, so I'll leave that with you to mention to our listeners. All right, let's have a look. Okay, so we've got, uh, yes, Norgate's plant farm, uh, closing down sale. That kind of sounds a bit sad, doesn't it? Do you know Very, Norgate? Yeah, 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 I do. Where, uh, where are they? They're in um, Newbury. What, what sort of nursery is that? Well, I haven't been. I was up there many, many years ago, but my sister's gone there regularly, you know, yeah, over yeah. the years. Okay, so a lot garden. of um, exotic plants. Very much yeah, so, yeah. And whatnot. Now, oh, well, that's a shame. I wonder why they're closing down. Mm. Um, so, yeah, perennial plants, heavily discounted. Um, if you go to the Norgates Plant Farm Facebook site, um, you'll be able to get the dates and times for when the plant farm is open, or you can call 54241787. That's 54241787. Uh, the address for them is 17 Blue Creek Road in Newbury, so 17 Blue Creek Road. But uh, jump onto their Facebook site to start with just to see uh, when the dates and times that they're open. So um, oh, that, that's a real shame. Another one yeah. bites the dust. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Do you know why they're closing down, Pam? Uh, I believe uh, the father who set the whole thing up yeah. um, has retired and right. it's the son who's now trying to just um, organise, uh, you know, uh, getting rid of Get rid all of the what's stock. There. Yeah, yes. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I suppose I also want to mention that um, even though it May Day is the International Workers' Day, um, mm-hmm. which I was interested in, it's sort of um, the, the original... 
May Day, which was, I suppose, more relevant to us in a sense, was, you know, yep. bedecking yourself with flowers and, and strangely maypole. wandering around a maypole <laughs> with a ribbon. Yeah. Um, but that was, um, it was a pre-Christian celebration dedicated to um, the uh, flora, the ancient goddess of flora. And um, so it was, it was all about um, vegetation, fertility, flowers. Okay. Uh, which, yeah, which yeah. I, I thought was yeah, pretty interesting. And uh, I think maybe the link between um, f- uh, the f- Floralia, as it's called, the Festival of Flora, the Roman goddess, and the International Workers' Day is that in, in the Northern Hemisphere, May Day is, is celebrating spring and all the seeding on farms has been completed by this date and that was the day when they would give the workers the day off. Okay. So I just wondered if that was the link between um, the traditional May Day mm. and um, why the, um, yeah, they've made it the International Workers okay. Day. So, mm. so it, wasn't, it wasn't actually all about my granddaughter's birthday or anything? Apparently not. No, 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 not, no, not necessarily, but happy birthday, Lola. Okay. <laughs> Now, we've got a a query uh, come through from the outside line there. Yes, so Terry of Brighton has borers in her acacia tree. What can she do about that and will they get into the decking nearby? Um, Well, borers are... They go for rotting wood. Yeah, and it's a... Borers are a tricky situation, and there's kind of two trains of thought. Some people just say, leave them alone, there's nothing you can do, it's too hard. Other people, you know, say you can poke a, um, a pin in there and prick them all, which would well, be very time-consuming. Well, if it's a whole tree, you can't, really. No, no. <laughs> well, that would be quite meditative, I reckon, just to get out there. I'm, I'm well, going to I deal with know. the borers today. No, no, don't, no, Don't no. disturb me. <laughs> I don't think that's meditating. So you imagine the, um, the acacias, a mature acacia, which, you know, are not... Incredibly long-lived. That's right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, when a tree starts declining... That's when the pests start it's moving in anyway, because yeah. they, when a tree is really healthy, they put out these particular chemicals, and basically that's a, an insect repellent that you mm. know naturally occurs in the tree. And and when the tree starts declining in health, they don't have the energy to, to put into this um, chemical production. So um, suddenly pests come and go. Oh, here's a tree in decline. I'll, I'll pop in here and, and um, help it along its way. So um, I mean, I would suggest I'm not sure as, as you mentioned. Loretta acacias aren't um, particularly long-lived, so it could have been declining anyway. Um, I've never known anyone to have success spraying or anything no. with it. So, I mean, no. I, I would recommend um, if you want, if it's not a very old tree and you want to keep it going, just apply some liquid seaweed. That's, you know, all, always mm. come back to the liquid seaweed just to give it a real boost. Um, yep. And I would suggest that um, now I would suggest they don't won't get into your decking, but you will know more about well, that. Look, I don't. I can't imagine it. I don't no, think I've never no. seen. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, if the decking's in good condition, I don't see that that's going to be a problem. I really don't. Yeah. As I say, borers go for aged, rotting, you know, wood. Mm. Um, which is why it won't even spread to other trees yes. um, in the garden if your yeah, trees yeah. are healthy. So That's it's, right. a, it's a matter of maintaining good health with your trees. If you're really, really worried about it and the, the acacia is on the way out anyway. Succession planting. Succession planting, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just, um, I, I think the decking should be fine. Yeah, and and um, also a lot of the time when you notice that the trees got borers, they've already been and gone. 
You know, you yeah. can tell if they're still active if there's that little bit of sawdust outside the hole. Yes, that's true. Exactly, and they they may have been there and they may already have gone. Yeah, and that's and they right. may not be active anymore yeah. anyway. Yeah, and so it's a matter of looking for that frass, the sawdust. Mm, that's correct. Yes. yes. Yeah, and I mean that's a it's a really um, another good reason why we want to have those prickly shrubs in our garden to attract those little birds because they're you know the tree creeper birds they're the ones that are getting out there and yeah. getting those borers for yeah. you. So yeah, another mm. another. Good but it, it's not—it's not something that's related to your termite that's going to sort of oh, absolutely send you not. into a frenzy. No. So yeah. no, no. So don't worry about it from that point mm. of view. Yeah. Absolutely, your brand is not going to fall down, Terry. Yep. Okay. Now, last week we had a caller um, ring in, and he was talking about uh, having a hard crust below the surface of his sandy soil. Now, uh, during the week, I heard back from our good friend Roger Elliott. Um, who gave me a little bit more information about this. Um, it's actually quite common. It's known as coffee rock, uh, and it's fairly common in highly acidic sands. So plants such as trees often have trouble with root penetration uh, because it's a very hard crust. Um, and often the best procedure if planting trees is to deep rip or break it up with a crowbar, but sometimes it can be really, really thick. Uh, and in winter, it can also be responsible for waterlogging because the water can't get through it. Um, so he sent me an excerpt from the Victorian Department of Ag website, and it says uh, these are deep grey-brown sands over yellow-grey, frequently with a layer of dark-brown hard-cemented sand, in brackets, coffee rock, they occur in the sand dune areas from Black Rock to Brighton and along the coast of Port Phillip Bay as far as Rye. They're extremely poor in nutrients. Addition of fertilisers or manures and especially organic matter will help increase the humus content and raise the fertility. Lime also needs to be added to counter the mild to strong acidity and um, these soils are highly regarded for vegetable cropping in the Cranbourne region. So there's a little bit more information. And as usual, um, our good old um, organic matter, you cannot... Can't go past it. Can't go past it. It's a cure-all for soils. It really is. I mean, that's just interesting what you've been reading out there anyway, and I haven't heard of that before. And, I mean, soils are just quite amazing. And what always, um, you know makes me incredible is the fact that there's so many soils in Australia but however they are all particularly infertile anyway Um, but you know having those acidic ones you know you you might be um, get yourself a crop of blueberries and (laughs) azaleas and rhododendrons camellias absolutely get that um, organic matter into them and and break them up yes yeah when you have that um, I've been in kangaroo ground working recently and we're on there's a massive volcanic belt there and it is as black as black and it's when it gets wet it's like glue and right. no, nothing actually irritates my excavator driver more <laughs> than when he gets a bucket full of that glue mud yes. and it will not get out of the bucket yes. but then 100 200 meters away it's it's quite sandy and rocky and you know it's sort of riverbed and it's quite incredible but mm. Yeah, you don't want to mix the, the, the water with that black volcanic. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, you've uh, brought in a couple of bits and pieces, Loretta. Let's have a chat about some of them. Okay, well, oh, I, I was thinking, here. you know when we're talking about the, um, the, the autumnal colour and it perhaps not being yes. so... Um, Without the chilies. Yeah. yeah, 
I was sort of thinking this morning as I wandered through the garden that uh, once again, our beautiful natives, we have my special uh, Bankster Integrifolia and uh, I've always loved it. This is actually roller coaster. Ah, yes. And roller coaster is a beautiful um, species of uh, Banksia and uh, it has a beautiful lemony Beautiful, stunning bottle isn't brush. It? It's just and and it's once again. I mean, it's rivalry for our autumnal colour. Yes. Because you get these beautiful, beautiful brushes coming out and lovely leaf, which has got a little serrated edge, and then that beautiful underbelly, which I think is divine. Which is where I, I think this is, really comes into its own is if you have a dark corner of the garden because yes. you've got the reverse of the leaf. Yes. Is is almost. White, yes, um, it is. Plus, you've got the you've got the silvery lime, very light mm. lime colour in the flowers, yeah. And that is just going to light up any, isn't it, darker colour? Yeah, isn't it? it's just beautiful. As, yeah. yeah, as far as um, ground covers go, it's it's quite exceptional. I was exploring a garden um, down at Dunkelba doing a story for the show on um, Alan and Maria Meyer's garden down in Dunkeld, and they've got twenty four acres, and um, there was. Um, one particular garden, they've got their um, garden beds broken up into genera and um, the banksia bed has just got this massive roller coaster and yep. um, I said, oh, how many plants are in there? Because, you know, it was 10 metres long or something yes. and wide and and uh, Rob the gardener said, oh, it, there's only three plants yeah. and they just, and I said, oh, have you got it mounding over anything? Because it was just these incredible yeah. waves of, of banksia, really dense and he said, no, they just naturally mound themselves. Yep. All they do is remove the vertical foliage. Anything that okay. p- grows up vertically, they yep. just take it off because they want it to maintain that real prostrate habit. And, I mean, you can see why it's got the name roller coaster because it just tumbles and rolls, and rolls. across the yes. ground. So, yeah. for a, I mean, for a ground cover, you absolutely can't beat it. And, you know, for that weed suppressing, you know, the living mm. mulch kind of thing, it's mm. just, yeah, yeah it, it really is oh, a beautiful it's fabulous. plant. fabulous, yeah. We love our banksias, don't we? We do <laughs> love our banksias. <laughs> what else have you got I've here? got to say here I'm a bit of a sucker for the... Uh, the Corias yes. and, and value, you know, value for money sort of thing. But uh, this is Coria Belenii or Chef's Cap Coria. Yep. And I would say, as I have here, this is a Coria um, Glabra Coliban, you will have flower on it all year. Mm. I mean, obviously, at certain times a lot more and there's a lot on at the moment, but they're just such beautiful value. The Belenii, once again, it, it'll grow to... Um, Meter and a half, quite okay. quite happily. Yes. And but I really keep them cut. But I'll but they're, they're dense. I love pruning a coria. They really really respond. Um, the Belenii has, I think, quite an exotic look. It has lovely red stems. Well, they're they're a deep just, burgundy, aren't they? It's just beautiful yes. red burgundy. So Glorious. you know that's a bit autumnal, isn't it? <laughs> um, and your little chef's cap, which is limey, beautiful limey green, isn't it? So I think they're just a fabulous plant and beautiful little dark, very very dark green leaf. Mm. Um, your coliban, uh, glabra, uh, that is more of a limey leaf all over. Uh, the leaf is more of a vertical, it sort of wants to go up. Well, at Christmas Hills, we have these. They're probably about 1,600 in height. Okay. Which is, you know, really getting up there. And I've just 
given them the big chop annually. They just get a nice cut and they're so dense. Mm. So I, I think those two, as far as getting that value for money in the garden, you get the flower all year round um, and the kids love them. I think they're good. You know, the chef's cap. The chef's oh, cap yeah, is beautiful. Gorgeous. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. we've got um, that one in the garden and I have to say that's been one of the successes in our garden and uh, which is rare for us because, as we know, we've got that, you know, massive rabbit problem. But yes. when the rabbit's finally left them alone, you know, they've oh, just yeah. become this incredible um, kind of shrub and I'm sort of loath to prune it back because um, you know, when anything grows in the garden, I'm just so <laughs> thankful that I just don't want to touch it. You're going to have but to get the brain I am to push it out. Brain, but, you know, we've got that really heavy clay soil. Yes. And mm. I hadn't done a lot of work with that soil when it went in. And so I was a bit dubious. And it's it's under the uh, the red box of, you know, really mature polyanthemus. And it is so successful. It's just, it's as Loretta was saying, it flowers all through the year. Yeah. Um, you know, I throw water at it occasionally, not very often often mm. um, little birds love it they hop yeah. around in it the blue tongue lizard you know there's a couple living in there and it really is one of one of the success mm. plants for the garden yeah. so yeah absolutely but yeah no i will have to i mean i think it's about time now to give it a bit of a haircut i'll be over ab no but i'm worried you know <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the new growth that then the rabbits will come in but uh, yeah. i think it is actually quite a big plant so mm. i'm kind of got my fingers crossed yeah. that maybe look it should be fairly well established it now. is really established yes. yeah so, so i think you should be right i know it's just, yeah. Yeah, just it's keep an eye on it yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too many things yeah. to keep an eye on in the garden yeah, yeah it's just um, but yeah i mean and we've got some we've also got some um courier reflexa which yeah. is yes. going yeah. great guns you oh, know yeah. and for those shady spots shady mm. dry spots can be an absolute yep. nightmare can't they yep. but um you know the the reflexa is just going great guns as well and uh, yeah, you just you can't beat them for that. You know, nice little bit of colour. Yeah, um, yeah, yep. into winter. Yeah. yeah. So now, yeah. what have you got there? This is a bit different. It um, is. This is the flower. Oh, oh wow! Hello, Grevillea. Anybody? Do you want? Okay. <laughs> well done. Um, this is Grevillea thylacoides. Right. And it's one of my. I call it one of my prehistorics. I love um, the, well, let's go for the leaf firstly. Very stiff, as yes. you feel there. It's yes. quite a stiff plant. Um, very long, weeping arms. Now, it's, ah. it's, it's Western Australian, I believe, um, and they're very stiff and prong-like, but not, not nasty, like you can sort of run your hand over it. Long, arching branches, about um, oh, six, seven hundred in height, it was bigger until a machine um, got it. But anyway, I won't talk about that. They're um, like curved combs. They are, aren't they? Yes. And it's a bit of a, look, a bit grey. I've chosen it again because, like the Corias, this flowers all year round. And these, that's not fully out, as you can see. Yes. But they're very unusual, beautiful red flower and grevillea-like. You can see that. But just very unique, I think. It's a dusky cut, a dusky maroon, which really combines with the greyness of the leaf. Yes, too. yeah. And it almost has a conifer like beautiful, look, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's just a beautiful. I've had it for many years, and I've only had the one, but I will. Um, I would love to get more. So, do you use it as a shrub, or do you have it trailing over a wall? No, or? as a shrub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, but uh, I mean, when I put it in, I must say, I, I sort of I saw it elsewhere. And about 15 years ago, and I thought, oh, and I saw one, and I grabbed it. It was only one at this nursery, and put it in, and it's growing, and it's 
very happy. It doesn't, hasn't been watered all summer. Right. So that very Western Australian toughness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What sort of dimensions? Uh, I would say it's about, let's say, six or seven hundred by a metre and a half. Okay. It can, sort of, it can really spew out quite far. But, I mean, you know, I'm not saying mine's the ideal specimen. I'm sure they probably get bigger in the wild. Yes, and, yes. But, yeah, Grevillea thylacoides. Stunning. Yeah. Oh, I think, you know, Grevilleas have had such a big impact on gardeners, haven't they? I mean, that's one thing that Angus and I talk about in our presentation is that, you know, it was in the 60s when Grevillea Robin Gordon yeah. came on the scene. And, you know, people who were um, used to the wide expanses of lawn with camellias and uh, roses you know, we're suddenly confronted by this incredible native plant yes. that flowered for most of the year. It attracted the birds. You know, it had that really nice burst of colour. Mm. And, I mean, I think in a way that could be applauded as being the plant that really did start it all, yes. you know. And then there yeah. were the likes of Ned Kelly and Coconut Ice, you know, those mm. cultivars which are known performers. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the women at the Keelor Plains group, she in the question and answer session at the end, she said, oh, you know why? There's so many cultivars, Grevillea cultivars, but um, not so much focus on the species plant. And and she's absolutely right, you know, because um, people have just gone crazy for them. So people that are not necessarily into natives, they love them for for that really bright burst of colours. And, you know, we we Mm. are lucky in a sense because the breeders have really jumped on board and they're they're giving us these incredible plants. They've done some fantastic things, haven't they? And grevilleas are just one of those plants, you know, so many different shapes and sizes, so many colours and all attracting the birds and the insects. Mm. So. Well, the old negativity was Grevillea rosemifolia, mm. which I yep. think people just, oh, it's a horrible, spiky, straggly. Yeah, 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 straggly. All of, all of those. So, yep. yeah, we have come a really long way. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and the more we learn about our native plants, I mean, all those myths which are being debunked that, oh, you know, you don't need to water a native plant, you don't, you don't need prune to prune it. it, you don't do yep. anything with it. Well, of course the plant's going to look terrible. I mean, because any plant, if you want it to thrive in your garden and you don't want that sort of bush-like look, I mean, we go out into the bush and it's fantastic to see these plants there. But, you know, when you look closely at them, a lot of them are quite scraggly. You know, they're reaching for the light. They're competing with a thousand other plants around them in your garden it's a perfect opportunity you can feed them you can water them you can prune them you can actually bring out the best in the plant so and when you do and i think you know that information is spreading with people now and we know that if we want to get the best out of our native plants we've Mm. actually got to do some work with them and when we do we're rewarded with you know these incredible gardens that's right absolutely Mm. how 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 readily available is this one now look i i think you'd probably be pushing you you will not get it in most nurseries yes so you probably karanga would probably be your best bet they might at least be able to get it in that's right but yeah um, Yes, yes. I think this should be utilised a lot more yeah. than it is. Yes, yeah. stunning. It's and good. it is really arching. I mean, it, it, it sort of comes from and it just arches Gorgeous. these big, long Beautiful. Arms. So yeah. I think it's terrific. Yeah, fantastic. So do you prune right back or do you just kind of No, I really take the top off. Yeah, oh, certainly the thylacoid, I wouldn't touch that. Yeah, That's, okay. But just your yeah. choreus yeah. for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Mm. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So okay. Last two. Look, I know this is just a little old wisteria yes. for Yes. Um, but once again, I've chosen it. You always seem to have a couple of flowers mm. on it. Um, but this is a prostrate form. Okay. Uh, and there's quite a few new ones um, coming out, which they're, they're oh. really fabulous 
um, very self-clumping. Yes. They really can stay really quite small. Um, they're, they're really they're fantastic. And, and I think, once again, this is, this is probably, I've got three in the garden, and they would be making one area would be about six metres long. Okay. By two metres across. Okay. And I've had them in probably eight years. Right. And they stay the same. I, I just don't do anything. They just stay the same, compact and low, and always sprinkle a little flower, a little mauve flower on them. And mm. uh, I just think they're, once again, a really, really durable plant. I have the normal fruticosa, which I also prune severely. <laughs> oh, I mean, they, they, they really lend in. themselves to it, don't they? Yes. You know, the yes, they do. and the they balls do. and everything. And, and that's another thing, you know, being able to um, use plants in our garden in, in ways that we've traditionally used um, exotic plants. You know, for example, you know, the buxus and whatever for tapiri and hedges. Yeah, why? W- there's so many fantastic native alternatives that not only do exactly the same thing, but mm. they help the environment and they bring mm. the, the mm. birds and animals into our garden. So, yeah, but Westringer is a fantastic. We've got a We've got a few, and um, we've also got a variegated yes. um, one with the, the little slightly mauve flowers, which, yes. uh, you know, they've created a bit of a um, a block around the water tanks there, which, yeah, yeah, yeah fantastic. A great plant. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing is, if you look to Europe, they're having so much trouble with their buxus now. Yeah. Um, there's a what they call the worm, the buxus oh, worm. Oh, yes. But it's just destroying, absolutely really? destroying. All these formal gardens in in Italy, and now it's gone to France, and and wow. they rely on the buxus solely for all that Structure. formal, oh yes, you know, hedging, mm. and it's getting decimated. They're wow. spraying, and and you know, when I was in Italy last year, I was talking to some of the gardeners. It's costing them a fortune just to try and keep up the the spray uh, routine, yes. and and they're not winning. And no. they're just not winning. What, what is it like? What is the worm? Is it? Um, I do, I do have an article on it somewhere, which yeah. I'll look at as we're So is it defoliating or is it getting to the roots or? Uh, uh, it's completely, it's eating, it's, it's, it's chomping. Oh, that's really chomping. And killing it off, yeah, completely yeah, killing yeah. them off. Yeah. Um, and when we've got some Australian native plants that, that will do the job, yeah. So well and mm. do exactly the same job. Mm. Why on earth wouldn't you go for them? Yeah, I mean, even you know, obviously our lily pillies and yes. you know, and so many of them are being bred for specific purposes. You know, yes. we've got those narrow growing plants now. Even you know the calistamins, which are kind of can be known to be quite wide yes. and you know rather than tall. And um, you know the little jet, I think it is. Mm. And um, you know, there's a range of them being bred for small spaces. You know, the, so many of the banksias. Mm. You know, perfect. For pot culture and, yep. and, and the smaller gardens now and, you know, being bred mm. for flowers and, and foliage yeah. colour. So. I think it's really important to understand that we can collaborate. You know, we can bring our plants in with our exotics, but it is, I think, a particular skill and a lot of thought's got to be given when you are integrating natives and exotics. Mm. You just can't go and whack some palms in and then sort of... Oh, I like the uh, look of that. I'll stick that here yeah. and I've got an empty bit of patch there. I'll stick that there. And yes, yeah, you do I, have to think about integrating. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that um, the garden which we're going to be filming in a, in a week or so down at uh, Dunkeld, which I mentioned, Alan and Mar- Maria Myers Garden, um, they, it, it's ostensibly a native garden. So it's 24 acres. They, you know, they're absolutely in love with the Australian 
an environment, so they wanted to create something of beauty, and um, they put up this, you know, two-metre-high sandstone wall, you know, Grampian sandstone wall around it, so they've got this particular microclimate there and, and you know, century-old gum trees and whatnot, but they they just have a love for all things flora, and so mm. they, they wanted the um, exotic elements in it, you know, the perennial beds. So what they did, instead of trying to mix them with the natives, they um, kept all of the exotics um, attached to a man-made structure. So the house has a perennial bed against the house and the wisteria goes along the pergola. There's a tennis court with a pergola next to it. That's got a wisteria and roses growing over it. There's, there's a stable there. And so next to the stable, they've got a, a bed of autumn foliage um, mm deciduous exotic plants and then they've got a glass house with the with the veggie garden and whatnot so they I thought it was a really clever way of mm. kind of delineating where they'd put the exotic so they they didn't have to go for one or the other that you know it's probably 90% natives yes and of course they look incredible but um, just having that real burst of color for for the perennial beds you know yeah. and I was down there last week and it, they just look an absolute treat so mm. I think I thought that was a really clever way of doing yes. it so you, I mean, of course, there are there are ways of mixing it as well. You know, the head gardener down there, he was fantastic. And he was saying, you know, a lot of it is about the foliage colour. You know, if you've Absolutely. got that yeah. similar foliage colour, mm. that can often work. But, yeah, mm. you, you do have to think more carefully about it, I think. You do. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I've just handed you the information on the uh, the box worm. Yeah, so it's actually a caterpillar. So yes. Um, it is a, a, a larva of the moth that, that feeds on the leaves and um, it's, yeah, I mean, it looks like many of the caterpillars that we'd see in our garden, kind of lime green. Well, luckily it's not in Australia yet. Yeah, but, but it, I mean, and that's the reason, of course, why we have such stringent border controls exactly. when it comes to plants and plant material and whatever. And, you know, um, people should really think about that, especially if they're considering ordering in plants from overseas, you know, I mean... A lot, you can bring plants in if, if you know, if you're coming back into the country yourself and you brought plants in and you declare it, that's fine. You know, if it is um, plant matter as opposed to being in a petri dish or mm. something, you know, you can leave it with them for a series of months and, and make sure that there's no it goes through quarantine and disease and goes the, through yeah. quarantine for that period of time. But I mean, yeah, this it is is really sad. So um, I, I wonder what they're actually doing about it. You know, I wonder if it's just going to be a, a continuous spray regime. I wonder if it's something. That that you know has why is it suddenly occurring now? You know what has that one of their main predators disappeared or just it's quite interesting, isn't mm. it? It is interesting, but it's as I say, um, it's it's just devastating. Uh, you know their their gardens, mm. which they rely on for their income. Of yeah, course, yeah, many of these yeah. big formal gardens. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I'll, um, Stephen is going over to Italy uh, next month. And so I will see if he can uh, talk to a few people and get, get any more, get information, more information as to where it's at now, whether they've managed to bring it under mm. control a bit more or... Um, Did you see the effect when you were there? Oh, yes. Gosh, yeah. yes. Mm. So just defoliated plants and... Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. there'd be whole sections of, of, of their hedges just yeah. completely wiped out. Oh, wow. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, elm leaf beetles are a good example, isn't it? Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. 
what can happen. Yes, so, um, exactly. Get onto your wastringia hedge, I say. Yeah. You know? <laughs> By <laughs> all means, yeah. And the very last one you've got there, Loretta. Well, this is my, my native silver birch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With a very recognisable leaf. I know. This yeah. is um, Brachychiton populans, and I, I just adore it. How uh, I have, as I mentioned earlier, a large copse. Of 30 gorgeous 40. as a copse. It is, yeah, fabulous. It's uh, something that insignificant flower, really. Yeah, little, but tiny sweet. bell, but very sweet. Yeah. But it's not the standout. The standout is the trunk, and the beautiful leaf. And very the seed pod. Oh, the seed, oh, the pod seed is pods are fantastic. Too. Yeah. yeah, you know they're big, they're black, they open up. You know they've got these wide frog-like mouths with the, uh, you know, large round orange berries. And Children can make creatures out of them. They're yeah. fabulous. And yeah. the, the birds have been going off in our garden, and I've right. you know been watching the kararongs and they're just um, having a go at them, and yeah. you know taking off with the whole seed pod. It's just yeah, it's wonderful. Well, I think this is, uh, and I also wanted to mention that that all in that exotic mix. You could quite easily integrate that into quite an exotic garden. Oh yes. Oh easily. And um, be very happy. I but think. you know what, Loretta, you, you call it the native birch, but I live for the day when we when we talk about um, the birches, you know, the European mm. birches as being, being um, the, Euro- the European, European version of, of the ones that we've got here. So <laughs> yeah, the, mm. the other way around, I think. It's yeah. not <laughs> going to happen for a while, eh, Bea? It Just will. Say, it will. I'll we'll be pushing for <laughs> too it. Too many <laughs> centuries of European gardening. <laughs> it's it's a slow but steady. Move. <laughs> We're getting there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you also brought in a couple of plants. I have. Now, one of the plants I brought in is a um, gorgeous strappy leaf plant, the um, Dianella tasmanica blaze. So um, some people would know the tasmanica as being the slightly wider leaf form of, you know, the, the dianellas. So the revoluta is probably the more common one that's grown. But, fine um, leaf. Yeah, much yeah, fine much, leaf. much yeah. finer leaf. But this um, tasmanica is, is indigenous to my area and um, blaze is actually a, um, a natural mutation of the tas red. So, yeah, the, the tas red is a, is a naturally occurring reddish um, Tasmanica variety and, and Blaze was a um, sort of a mutation from that and it's got that really dark green here. I mean it does, it can blacken up, you know, really well and become that really almost dark magenta colour and with quite, you know, wide two, two and a half centimetre leaves and um, it, it's one of those fantastic plants again for shady spots um, and also for using as a great ground cover, it clumps up really well. You know, we've I've got the normal Tasmanica in the garden, mm. and boy, oh boy, it's it's just working a treat. I think because the leaves are slightly thicker, the rabbits aren't as interested. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's got those beautiful um, little flowers Indigo on it and berries. Oh. Yeah, those berries. Mm. And I actually learned recently that you can eat them. So really? I'm, I'm going to be giving them okay. a nibble, and um, they were also used as a dye. The um, yes. Aboriginal folk used to use mm. them yes. to dye the yes. the lamandras mm. to make baskets out mm. of. Which yes. I, yeah, AB, very, I just I'm going to be rude and interrupt for a minute because recently I was in the wilderness in Tasmania, just out of Strawn, right? Uh, about a week ago, gorgeous part and, of the world. Uh, that was tough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I. Uh, Thinking of the Dianella, to be right in the wilderness between Strawn and Queenstown and to see this incredible Dianella, Tasmanica, mm, right. there, enormous. It was probably oh, 1,200 plus, what? plus, plus in Whoa. height. And, but what was interesting, and there were some people who were walking with me at the time, 
um, and they didn't know what it was. It was in full berry. The berries were probably, you know, a really, really fat blueberry. Yep. Yes. You know, when you get those big fatties. Yes. That's how big the blueberries wow. were. That's incredible. And it was in amongst all the other vegetation and I won't go, I'll get emotional. Did you I get excited when you realised what it was? I hope you've taken some photos. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, sure. Oh, good. It is. And it, but I mean, and the whole journey in there was just sort of like a huge privilege. I was quite emotional. I was a bit quiet at times. People wondering what's wrong with her. She's quiet. <laughs> um, just appreciate. It yeah. was absolutely incredible. Such a privilege, but wonderful. Just to say, to see, um, well, that bush that we don't we don't see virgin bush mm. really we yep. don't around Melbourne. No, it's pretty and wild in Tassie. Still, that isn't is it? so wild, yep. and to be right in in the heart of it, yep. and to see this dianella, which I have everywhere at Christmas Hills. But to see it in its natural habitat is yeah. pretty special. Oh. And, that, you know, saying how big it actually grows there, because this it's marketed as being a native um, formium, you know, the formium yes. tenex. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, it's similar in form, but, gee, it doesn't get nearly as big as a formium, but obviously in its natural habitat yeah. it does. Yeah, quite extraordinary. You know, it's um, kind of like going up to Sydney and seeing the angophoras up there, you mm. know, that they really are in their home environment and, yeah, yeah. just quite quite stunning plants. Well, I'm happy to say that we actually have our talkback uh, line up and running. Uh, poor old Vicky, who is handling the uh, the calls through, has had to cut through, would you believe, 11 trees to get here. Is that all, Vicky? 11 <laughs> trees after the storm last night. I can't believe that she's I would have given that. up after three, gone back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but it does mean that uh, if you do have a gardening question to ask us this morning... Um, we have half an hour because we do have to finish at 9.15. But if you'd like to jump on the phone and give us a call, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155 to speak to the team on air. We have A.B. Bishop and also Loretta Childs, landscape designer in the studio. So uh, do give us a call as I say, that number nine four one nine zero one double five, or we still have Anne on the outside line on nine four one nine eight three double seven. Now, the other plant that you brought in, which is one, as you know, was in its full glory one day when you came into my garden, in its full white glory, one of my favourite plants. It is. This is, um, it's Kunzia pomifera, so Muntries. And... Um, I've decided to extend my kitchen garden um, in as much as that in my garden I can only plant indigenous plants unless they're in the kitchen garden. Yeah. So I've decided to, you know, make these ones part of my kitchen garden. Um, they, It's a prostrate plant. They grow, you know, to probably about 30 centimetres high, but um, similar in a way to the roller coaster, you know, they, they might get about three metres wide. But um, what I'm really growing them for... The berries, um, the muntry berries or the, the emu, emu apples, I think they were called. And, um, yeah, so that, that, that's my idea. I've got a couple planted in the garden already and, and they're going really well. And, and the berries, actually, they, 
they look like blueberries, mm-hmm. and but they're meant to be four times higher in antioxidants than blueberries. Really? So I thought, you know, that's a good what reason. What colour? Um, they look like blueberries. So okay. They're just that similar kind of purpley blue oh. colour. Oh, they've got a slightly more pinky, a slightly more pink, pink, yeah, colour yeah, to them than a blueberry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but they they will cope with sun or part shade. And um, growers that are growing them for the actual berries, instead of having them sprawling around along the ground, which makes picking difficult yep. of course they're growing them up trellises, up trellises which yeah. is fantastic because you could just you, you know use a bit of rear whatever and weave the um the stems through it and then you've got easy access to it and they cope with sun and part shade mm. so uh, when i read that i thought oh that's a fantastic idea for the veggie garden itself mm. just to have it up a trellis i think yeah. that could work really well i mean and so many plants these days i mean we're doing that with apples we're doing that with you know so many mm. of the fruit trees aren't we you know they're growing these dwarf varieties that people are espaling left right and mm. center and mm. um, growing up against um, yeah. walls and whatnot. So, it yeah. strikes you in Italy, doesn't it? When uh, when you sort of see the apples, you see everything is is in your yeah, space. Yeah, it's on yes. that. It's on exactly. that. It's on the slope. Yeah, it's on isn't the it? two-dimensional right. plane, yep. and it just makes picking so easy. And yep. yeah, if you, if you just keep everything to that yes. wire. You don't have to, I mean, to me, that's, it's kind of a no-brainer in a way because pruning can be a bit tricky. Um, so if you're just keeping everything that's to that wire. That's unless you I love pruning. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you just keep everything to the wire and, and you don't even have to think about it. There's your framework. Yeah. We must get to our calls because we don't have terribly long. Okay, first call, we have Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. Could I tell what we're having on Thursday evening at Burnley? Yes, certainly. Um, Dr. Greg Moore's giving his fantastic talk about the value of trees. I've heard it before, and it's absolutely stunning. And he talks about the emotional, the economic, the environmental, um, every aspect of trees, and it's just absolutely mind-opening. And that's at the Herb Society, room main building in uh, room 10 and from 7.30 sharply onwards and Greg will be talking at around 8 o'clock. And of course he's such a great speaker and so knowledgeable. And, and you know, he, he's just so influential in making people understand. Mm. You know, even hard enough to, you know, the cement jungleites. Uh, can be moved by him, especially by the economic argument. <laughs> exactly. So Wonderful. Thank you very much for taking that message. Okay, thanks, Jill. Bye. 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 And next we'll go to Claire, who's down in Chelsea. Good morning, Claire. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm also ringing up about the importance of uh, trees in our immediate surrounds. Um, as horticulturalists, we are continuously uh, expelling our knowledge to educate, encourage and enthuse, yet the extent of our immediate green surrounds can come down to whom we vote for in local councils. An example of this is um, the March meeting of the City of Kingston, uh, which incorporates Parkdale, Mordialek, all the way down to Bond Beach, and they voted against reviewing their significant tree register, even though it it has 99 trees on its list, whereas in 2008 it had 120. Mm. Um, as they see, no need to protect any more significant trees other than on golf courses. And I've got an interesting little 
blurb that came out of the uh, Melbourne magazine, which was a um, glossy magazine that came out of the age a few years ago. Um, this one was printed in 2011 where they rated um, all the suburbs of Melbourne. And when it got to Chelsea, which is my suburb, uh, it states the suburb of Chelsea has fewer tree coverage than other neighbouring suburbs and dramatically less than Bayside. Right. Yet, yet this council um, will not further increase the amount of trees on the tree register. Have you spoken to them about it, Claire? Yes, I have. Oh, not not um, this latest one because that was just... Uh, they just voted on that in March. Um, and we all know that trees increase property value, be it a tree on your nature strip, be it a tree in your own garden, or be it the property that's up for sale that perhaps backs onto a park. And, of um, course, all importantly, it cools down your suburb exactly. in summer. Yep. As, as Greg says. Yep. So I, I'm just asking people to be mindful of whom they vote for when the council elections come up. Claire, is there any way you can, um, you can uh, get a group uh, petition up or can you, is there any way you can get uh, maybe one of your, um, your uh, local garden societies to maybe um, hold a public meeting about it and invite some of the councillors along? Is there anything, can you take this further? Um, I belong to the Mordialic Bamoris Conservation Society of which one of the Kingston councillors um, is a member and attends every meeting. That's uh, Councillor Rosemary West, and she, um, her vote was knocked down to um, um, review the um, significant tree register. So she is very proactive for greening our immediate surrounds. It's just... Um, it comes down to the other councillors. Mm. So do you have trees there that you want to have on that list? Um, I do see one in a neighbouring street. Um, uh, be, being a, I'm a horticulturalist, not an arborist, so um, um, it's a little bit harder for me to judge the species um, uh, to see if they're credible of putting on the register. Mm. Um but um, the arborists that work for the council um, certainly have that knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but it comes down to your councillors. They voted against it. And, and it comes down to people power too, Claire. Exactly. Because the councillors are only there because, as you say, your votes put them there. And if Correct. the councillors, if there is some way you can show the council that, um, that the, the local community really do care about this topic and that they want some, some money spent. Um, they want trees promoted. They, you need green life to cool down your environment and all the other, the other benefits that, uh, that greening of a suburb brings. Um, then they'll be forced to listen. But you need to, you need to really build up that, uh, that support and show it to them. And that's one reason why I'm ringing up. So yep. um, fellow ratepayers and voters of the city of Kingston who are listening to this on the radio, mm. do something about it. So mm. the, the few of us 
Well, if any of the um, councillors door knock, it should be one of the important questions you put to them or if there's any public meetings leading up to, uh, to council elections, again, you need to get some, uh, some people there and putting these sorts of questions to them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think councils have a huge responsibility for, you know, the, the natural amenity in our suburbs. And I know that Mossman uh, Council, Claire, they, um, they have this huge sustainability push and all the old trees that were, you know, starting to die off instead of, uh, you know, in a lot of suburbs, you know, councils see them as being really dangerous. So they just chop them straight down. Mossman Council was saying, you know, this is really sterilizing our environment and we don't want that. You know, we're losing our birds and we're just losing that beautiful feel so what they're doing they're creating what they call stag trees so they're coming in and they're lopping off the really dangerous branches um, but not all the way back so you know they're allowing still that insect activity to occur and with that insect activity you know comes the bird lights and and they keep the hollows in the trees and you know so there's nesting places and everything so I mean there are councils out there that are are really progressive you know as far as sustainability and and that kind of thing so you know maybe you could even jump on Claire to the um, Mossman Council website and see what they're doing and you know put put some of those examples forward to your council and and see if they can kind of up the ante there. There was a large lily pilly tree, just your non-hybridised variety, um, uh, which was removed from private property. They received a permit and they okay to remove their their tree. Quite a large canopy, um, the circumference at breast height, um, would have been over 100 centimetres, um, so therefore you you need a permit, and uh, the city of Kingston gave that permit. And I am amazed that they were allowed to remove that tree, and I asked to see their tree evaluation hazard form, so they could show me um, its defects. Um, Etc. Uh, Etc. Et and how they rated the tree and why it was a hazard, um, and they refused me. Oh, that's interesting. But I, I think even just having you jumping up and down about it, Claire, and you know, standing up for for the trees basically is the the first step that really needs to happen. So hopefully you'll get more people on board who will basically join the good fight. So far, they've refused me. Um, my next option is to review that sheet through the um, freedom, of, freedom of Information. Um, so I'm, I'm currently speaking to the City of Kingston. But I need assistance. I need more help uh, with ratepayers if they can do something as well. And this is where maybe, um, maybe if you can speak to people like Greg Moore, I'm thinking John Fordham too. Yeah. Um, who's, who's responsible for that, uh, that uh, significant tree register um, and is a, a fully qualified arborist. Um, and I know he's, uh, uh, we, we had a particular petition come up through this program um, over a year ago and John was very uh, instrumental in helping. We did save a tree that was in a car park of uh, a big uh, proposed um, supermarket. So... Uh, you know, if you can try and sort of contact some of these other people who have got a name that, that councils might listen to, uh, to so that you do have some support and uh, take it from there. But all the best with that. Good luck. 
So John Fordham has, um, he's not just the National Tree Register, he... Um, he gets very involved with the local level as well. Oh, okay. All yes. Right. I think I have his card, so... Um, yeah, well, he would, he would be well worth you contacting. Great. All right, and thanks for taking my call. Okay, and, and report back to us. Yes. <laughs> Keep us in touch. Will do. Okay, thanks, Claire. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Uh, next we're going to Julian in Thomastown. Good morning, Julian. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to know when you reported uh, orchids. Hello? Yes. When you, when you reported orchids? Uh, Julian, you need to turn your radio off. Okay. Um, yeah. It'll oh. confuse you. Oh, uh, come sorry. back. We'll wait for you. Just I did anyway. Okay, yeah, that's much better. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll get very confused. All right. Uh, I want to know when you reported uh, orchids. We're all looking at each mm. other. I'm not an orchid expert by orchid. any means. No. Oh, so uh, what was the question? Orchids. Oh, when orchids. to repot. Oh, when to, yes. Um, yeah, that, that is a good question. I, I'm going to say... Um, well, I mean, post-flowering, post, post Post-flowering, definitely, yes. yeah. So d what orchids do you have and are they in flower or what, what stage of growth no. are they at? Matter of fact, I don't know what they are. Somebody gave it to me, yep. and I don't know what they are. It's only got, got a couple of leaves on them. Yep. And why, you, why do you want to pot it up? Well, they were too crowded. Is there, is well, there yes, plant? that's that's another mm. good um, good indicator that it's it's time to repot once you yes. um, once they start to crowd yeah. the pot in. Well, what is going to be important though is you're going to have to go to your local nursery, and get your potting mix because it's quite a specific potting mix. You can't just go and get your normal, normal garden soil, mix, yeah. but you'll get an orchid yeah. garden mix, um, orchid mix that will um, be the right right thing for you and, and upsize the pot, not not really, really big because orchids, I don't think, they're, they're not that unhappy no, being a little not, bit they tight. They like being crowded. So, you know, yes. you don't yep. want to go too big with it. Yeah, yes. but you're right, Loretta. The trick is the potting mix because the orchid potting mix is extremely quickly draining and it's very coarse and, uh, yeah, mm. so, I mean, do it now, Julian. Yep, they Julian don't like wet now. feet, Can basically. I say another thing, please? Yes, yeah, of course. Uh, what about olive tree? Uh, I like to shift it. It's only young one. It's about two feet, two feet high. I want to shift it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you you could be doing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're still warm now, so you could be doing it now. Olives are extremely hardy. Um, and we just happen to have someone sitting here who can give you some very good information about olive trees. Yeah. Um, good Shane. Morning, Shane. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, olive trees, just dig deep. Sorry? Dig deep. Hardly hear you, sorry. Right -o. Dig deep, he's saying. Oh, dig deep, yeah. yes. Dig deep, dig wide. Uh, prune the tree back and just shift it. It's only, it's only a small, four small tree. Yeah, even then, just prune it back. You're yeah. looking, with olives, you want a clean trunk to a metre. Uh -huh. So uh, do your pruning from the bottom up. What sort of fertiliser do you give him? Uh, uh, alkaline or sweet, sweet uh, acid? Alkaline. Alkaline. That's all. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Okay, fine. Thank Thanks, Bye. Julian. Uh, next, we have uh, Gloria, who's in Boulogne. Good morning, Gloria. Oh, hi, Pam and everyone. Uh, <coughs> listen, I half heard, was it Roger's solution to soil? It's not my problem in Boulogne, but I was on the phone to a niece who had called, and she's down in Ormond. Right. And that soil problem was what exactly? Pam, that 
Uh, well, it's, it's, it's basically a very hard crust that forms below the surface. And what it does, it, it's, it stops plant roots penetrating and it also um, can stop water penetrating. So it's aquaphobic as well. And, uh, it's and not so much aquaphobic, it's, it's just it, that water it gets won't held allow there, it doesn't yeah. allow it to drain So through. it forms like a basin underneath the surface of, of water, so it actually waterlogs the roots of the plants. Ah, got it. And is that something that was uh, like the sand belt area down along the coast? Was that the place? Yes, it's, yes it's, it's in areas around the bay. That's right, yep. Okay, yep. and what was his solution? Sorry to have to repeat this. No, 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 that's <laughs> fine. Um Adding, uh, basically adding fertilisers or manures and especially organic matter. Right. Because you need to increase the humus <coughs> content and um, also lime needs to be added to counter because these are acidic soils. Right. Okay. In fact, I should ask her if she's testing the soil. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's worth, okay, it's worth but testing the soil. The, the more humus uh, organic matter she can, she can add, but because also... These soils are very, very sandy. They're very poor in nutrients. You do need some fertiliser as well. Right. Well, you know, what? She, and the reason I'm calling is she was going to just remove all the soil and then just go and get like a, you know... Um, no, I wouldn't no, advise that. No, please and, don't remove no. all the soil. Yeah, that's what I thought. You, you just, you're just creating more problems. It's much better to add your manures and your organic matters and build your soil and... and Use a crowbar, if you do have that crust there right. underneath, to break it up and then add as much as you can into the soil and, uh, and it'll be fine. It'll solve the problem for you. Great. Okay. Thank you but very it, much. It will, if, she, if she tests her soil, it will show up as being acidic. Okay, great. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Gloria. Bye. Okay, that's bye, bye. fine. Bye. Um, we've got another... Oh, seven, eight minutes or so if people do want to jump onto that phone line very quickly. I'm sorry we, we couldn't put through calls earlier in the program, but if you'd like to uh, jump on board and ask a gardening question, the number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air, or if you'd like to have a chat to Anne on the outside line, 9419 Eight three double seven. I have to say that removing of soil that it just makes my blood boil. You know, a lot of developers when they come in, obviously they take that, all the top. They soil. take all the topsoil. Understandably, yep. I know that they need a safe base to be building their their buildings on. But I always say, put it in a skip out the front and leave it, it there back. and put it back because mm-hmm. it's got these you know centuries old microbes and 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 you know they get rid of it. They take it who knows where and then they bring in this really um, crappy soil, put it on top of plant, grows in it for about a year and a half yep. and then hits Bang. the clay and yep. it turns up its toes and dies. And the other so. thing, of course, is that while they're building, they've been compacting that, that underneath clay. Yeah. Um, they don't think to break that up again, yeah. no, even yeah. when they, they add in other soil. So, I mean, it's just caused massive problems. You've created a, a sump. Yeah. The whole garden yeah. becomes a, a sun. Yeah. Yeah. And I do wonder what they do with that soil. I mean, it must go to some amazing place. Oh, I, I, I want to know they about sell it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Shane's shaking his head. No? Where does it go, Shane? Uh, it usually just gets wasted. Just, yeah. Okay. Oh. So I mean, because, why don't they just mix it in with the soil that we get? Because of residual weeds, people don't like to see that soil coming back into lawns because the lawn will then spout all of those weeds. So you need a neutral soil, a fresh lawn, 
and then you've got perfect suburbia. I, I think that's the weakest excuse I've ever, mm. <laughs> I've ever heard for not leaving the soil in the gardens. Yeah. A few weeds, that's depressing. Mm. Now, Shane, while we've got you in the studio, I know we don't have very long, but tell the listeners a little bit about, about the olive rustlers. Oh. Uh, this is the middle of olive season at the moment, so I'm out of Wagga. Uh, I'm down here moving a daughter who's uh, at the university. Uh, it's raining in Wagga, which is a, a, an absolutely glorious thing, so I've got the weekend free. At the moment, I'm harvesting every weekend with the long paddock olive rustlers. Uh, we tend to a lot of old abandoned trees and uh, now a lot of old abandoned groves and a lot of abandoned new groves. So we're slowly putting um, a little bit of sense back into the current planting. We're making some fabulous oil. Uh, the first tree that I ever picked uh, with the rustlers, and that's what got us started, uh, was in the middle of the paddock. Aunt Clara had bought it back from her trip overseas in the 1890s, and it's said to have come from the Garden of Gethsemane. It took us three days to pick 156 kilos of olives, which is what we required for pressing. The oil is probably the most stunning thing I've ever tasted in my life. We didn't know what to do with it, but we knew it tasted stunning. My mate took his share home and put it in the deep fryer. We knew that was wrong. <laughs> we bagged him for about three months, and he finally said that you haven't lived until you tasted chicken and chips cooked in that oil, and then we all went hungry. <laughs> um, following from there, the Australian panel for assessing olive oil sits in Wagga, so for all my sins, I've had to go and join that. Uh, so that's the government panel out of the Department of Primary Industries that do a scientific assessment on oil. And then to be assessed as extra virgin, it has to be free of fault, so it has to be tasted by a panel of eight people. Uh, sometimes that's the most amazing job of all time. You don't get paid, but by gee, you taste some stunning oils. Sometimes it's not so good because not all oils, uh, the, I think the expression is not all black socks are equal. Um, and some of the oils are absolutely revolting. Um, and they're not sold on taste, they're sold on price. Um, I've had a promotion with that. I got to go judging olive oil. Uh, so I get to taste some of the best olive oils in Australia. And I had another promotion. I've just been made the head judge of the Australian Olive Association. So I'm having a ball. Uh, this season is stunning. So I'm working weekends with those, those blokes. And I've been lucky enough to have a full-time job during the week at a little place called Wyma Olives on the Murray River. Uh, Wyma is a lovely spot on the Hume Weir that still has a ferry that goes across. So if you catch the ferry to go to market on a Saturday morning and you forget a key, you get to catch the ferry back and then back again. And that can be <laughs> spectacular as the sun rises. Uh, the oil that we picked last weekend, um, I've been chasing that grove and I've been trying to get that grove sorted out for the last eight years and the variety that we picked last week was Hardy's Mammoth and the oil is stunning. So now I've got to find a show where I've got where I'm not judging and I'm not the head judge. <laughs> so and you sneak can in and win. <laughs> hey Shane, tell me what why do some taste so good and some bad? Is it in the processing? Is it in the type of olive that's growing? Uh, Freshness is a really big consideration, yep. so uh, it's the reverse of wine. Olive oil is, is a seasonal product. 
Uh, freshness is a strange thing. We can actually catch the freshness and have it in a bottle. We can also catch ripeness and put it in a bottle. Uh, fresh now is something that's considered to be something that has a really good shelf life and sits there for three weeks. So taste is not really a consideration and taste is often not an aspect that's sold in any horticultural product or any fruit and vegetable. Um, taste actually becomes a negative or a, um, a confusion because you're actually trying to put a green product on the shelf and have it sit there for two or three weeks. Tricky. Mm. At least, I'd say, because, mm. I mean, yeah. Mm. I mean, most people automatically buy their bottle of oil and they'll, they'll still be using it 12 months later, you yeah. know. Mm. Yeah. The other thing with when you buy an oil is there's never, ever been a suggestion that you taste it or smell it. So the problems that come up are rancidity, which is age, uh, heat, light, and air kill olive oil. Mm-hmm. Um, Bad storage kills olive oil, so that's a fustiness, muddiness. It's a deep, dank flavour in it. Um, bad handling or, or late harvesting, so you can have an oil that's frosted, which is oversweet and that's sickly sweet. Um, you can pick olives up off the ground, which is the same as any other fruit. When, when, when it hits the ground, it's dead. Um, because it's either been there a day or three weeks or it's just dead. So you want fresh... The only place you can store olives really well is on the tree and in in brine. So in other words, there's a lot of things that can go wrong between when it's on the tree and when it's in the bottle. The game is to get it to go right. The biggest producer in Australia, um, which is Cobram Estate, they've now got their process down to six and a half hours. So the olives are on the tree and six and a half hours later... They've come through and they've been pressed and they're in the vat as oil. And when they, they, they're coming in in truckloads, when they tip into the hopper, nothing else goes into that hopper until the hopper's absolutely clear. So it's that handling. Then their staff, when the oil's going through, are tasting the product as it's going through 20 to 30 times a day. That's, that's their control. That's their guide. The moment they've got a problem, one, they're rectifying the problem, and two, they're diverting the oil off because as soon as there's a fault, that becomes virgin oil as distinct to extra virgin. And the biggest issue at the moment with olive oil in Australia is being able to sell that product, but uh, there's a feeling by a lot of people that you can't cook with olive oil, whereas a really good fresh olive oil is probably the most lovely thing to cook with. It's like a a pepper. It will pull out the flavours in everything else that it's working with. And... The, they're saying that the antioxidants that are there, you're burning them off as you're cooking. Yes, you are, but you've got so many there that you've got some advantage. Uh, you're, only, you're only losing a little bit of the advantage. Yeah, wonderful. What a fantastic mm. uh, way to end the show. Just yeah. a, a complete wrap-up yeah. about olives. That's just wonderful. Okay, we have run out of time, I'm yeah. afraid, for yet another week. Um, we will, of course, uh, be back next week. A big thank you to the team on air. Great to see you again, Loretta, yeah. and I am going to drag you back later no in the worries. year. No worries. that one plug is everyone go to Tasmania and see some wilderness and be inspired. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Also, a huge thank you to Vicky, who's chopped her way through well done, Vicky. 11 trees to get here. And also, of course, to Anne, who's been handling all the calls on the outside line. But as I said, we'll be back next week at uh, 7.30. Until then, bye for now.